0: Hi, welcome to my podcast for Property Beginners. I'm your host Lenka and in this talk show I'll be taking you through some fascinating journeys which hopefully will help you to achieve your property goals. Hi everyone and welcome to How Did You Show. Uh, Today I'm having a super exciting guest with me, a very good friend of mine, ex-military pilot and property expert, my friend Rich Little. Hi Rich.
1: Morning. Hello everybody.
0: Hi, how are you?
1: Very well, thank you, Lenke.
0: Thank you very much for coming to the show. I'm very excited to have you as my guest today.
1: No, and I'm pleased to be here. Hopefully I can uh, add a little bit of value to everybody and uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm all yours for the next however long you want.
0: Amazing. I'm sure you're going to add plenty of value as you always do, as you guys do every single day in your uh, wonderful Blue Oak Property group as well and other groups you do, which we're going to get to later. So yeah, I'm very excited. I'm sure you're going to add plenty of value today.
1: Um,
0: so can you tell us a little bit about you? Who is Rich Little for those who don't know? Right,
1: so yeah, so as I said, I'm uh, I'm Richard, Richard Little, um, so I've been, uh, property wise, I know this is a property podcast, I've been investing in property since 2003, was my first uh, purchase, should we say, of a property, um, and it was a property that I was going to live in. Uh, it was a little two bed cottage, I still own that today, and basically it was on moving out of that cottage, which I subsequently rented, I became kind of the accidental landlord, and it was from that moment onwards, I kind of saw the power of property. But before that, um, as like I said, I'm, I was in the military. So I joined the military in 98. I know I don't look that old. You know, it's a good, moisturizing regime. But You're I doing
0: something up. very well. <laughs>
1: I joined up in 98 as a helicopter pilot um, and started uh, flying helicopters in 1998 for the Royal Navy. So um, conflict throughout Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, former Yugoslavia, everything, every conflict that the UK has been involved in. I have been involved in.
0: Wow. So
1: it really happened in 2003, I had this house, I was deployed to Iraq at the time for what was known as Optelic, the invasion of Iraq at that time, Gulf War II, and I rented that house out. So and I didn't know how long I was gonna be away, nobody knew how long we were gonna be away, so hence I just rented this thing out. Now, I ended up coming home uh, Well, seven and a half months later, and I just left it rented out. I then moved to Scotland at the time, to fly search and rescue helicopters uh, off the West Coast of Scotland, out of the air. And it was at that point that I thought, do you know what, this property game, looking at the money I was making just from that little buy to let, bearing in mind I had very little mortgage on it at the time, but I was, it was cash flowing. And I just thought, do you know what, let's, let's try and do this a little bit more. Oh. So that's it. Back in 2000, this by now, we were 2004. I was working in Scotland, still in the military. And I basically started looking at property as more of a professional thing rather than just little amateur. Still doing it amateur because I was still in the military, but alongside. And at that point, I jumped into vitalet and HMOs in Glasgow. And HMOs in quite a big scale in Glasgow. Student HMOs in the west end of Glasgow, it was a booming era. So I was doing a lot of HMOs in that time. Um, following that period, moved again with the military. And again, I spent the, the next, from then, the next years basically batting around the country, deployed overseas but all the while building up alongside of my military time this property portfolio and this property career um, and just advancing that and advancing it. Really, until we get to kind of 2010, I then started moving from HMOs and buy-to-lets, which I was doing into more the conversions and the builds. So I started doing larger things. I did a, first was a a derelict building, which I converted to a 14-bed, all suite HMO. I then did a 10-bed and then I did 16 apartments. So it was kind of moved into that, the, the development side, but it was still that that very standard stepping stone of buy to let cut my teeth, move it into something a little bit more adventurous into the HMOs, move it into a little bit more adventurous, which was a development to an HMO, move it into a little bit more adventurous, which was a development into apartments. It's still that same stepping stone uh-huh. thing, but again, all along, still alongside my military career, and that's something I'm really trying to drive home to a lot of people with what I do is the fact that people try and make put barriers in their way and say look i can't do a property i can't build this property portfolio this property career because i'm so busy in my day to day job mm. so i've got to quit that day to day job in order to do property well no you don't i always encourage people to build that property portfolio until it is self sustaining until it at least not replaces that income but doubles that income why because properties are very um, movable beast should we say it. and actually unmable. yes replace that but let's say all of a sudden you've got an issue here, coronavirus hits and everybody moves out of your HMOs, all of a sudden you've got no cash flow. But if you doubled it, actually you've got a little bit of a, a buffer. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, time, what I what I really, really try and emphasize to people is time, that everybody has the time, it's just how you prioritize your time, because I've done it alongside of a deployed military career for 21 years, and I've been a property since 2003, and I've built that alongside I only left the military last month. March 2020, I left. Prior to that, I'd done the pair of them all together. So I've only just gone full-time into property. Um, yeah, so that's me. I'm very much a, you know, passionate about both property. Uh, property for me is all about solving problems. I'm more than happy to like, go into that. You know, I a lot of people say why are you in property. And a lot of people get into property because they want to say replace their day job, or mm-hmm. you know they've got this defined goal of what they want. And I guess because I didn't get into property for that, because I was doing it alongside, and I just liked the additional income at the time. I actually enjoyed the problem solving. I enjoyed seeing problems that nobody else could solve and solving them, and that's led to you know a number of massively, massively profitable deals you know so i was dealing with knotweed problems now knotweed where you are down in the south coast it's not really an issue but anywhere in the north knotweed massive massive issue and it's a, a very invasive plant that grows um, around buildings and it actually makes properties unmortgageable mm. now years ago nobody knew how to deal with this and i was seeing properties that were valued at zero okay literally huge buildings value at zero because only because of the, because the Weed. This weed growing, yeah. But you couldn't just cut it down. You can't just cut it down and put oh. normal weed killer on it. There were certain ways to do it. So I dug into how we could, you know, it, it originated from Australia, this weed. So I looked at how can we treat this weed? And lo and behold, I managed to pick up a, one example, picked up a building, uh, a property for just over 100000 I treated that weed, okay, bearing in mind that it was valued technically at zero because of the weed, but I paid just over 100000 for it. I treated the weed and then got a new valuation of that property for 350000 oh, wow. so by solving the problem, I immediately created, you know, £250,000 worth of equity Amazing. by solving the problem. Um, and that's what I love about property. Yeah. So I love the problem, love to find a solution and then have it capitalised, whether that's a vendor's problem, whether that's a physical problem with the property, whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, that's my passion is the problem solving, and then from there, you know, I've got, um, you know, I've got two kids, live with a partner Amy, uh, who does a lot of the health and fitness stuff, which I know you love. My wife. Um, and you know, I've got George, who's a little terrorist. And I've got a, an eight-year-old daughter as well. So that's what I spend a lot of in my, you know, time outside of, of building property. But now my new venture is Blue Oak. Um, mm-hmm. And You know, Blue Oak is is really for me. Blue Oak is something that is going to be different to everything else. It,
0: I mean the topic for this show uh, we yeah. chose an HMO which means a house of multiple occupancy and we and I know that you have a few of those and mm. you are a real property expert and you're a very very inspirational guy so mm, I was hoping that you could maybe share with us a little bit of how did you get your first HMO and where did you get from there please
1: right yeah so my first HMOs were as, as I mentioned there when we talked about me my first HMOs were in Glasgow now that just happened. I was living quite close to it. I, Glasgow's got uh, two big universities, a really thriving kind of young professional scene. Most people think of Glasgow, actually, um, you know, certainly coming from England, you know, I'm in English. You look up at Glasgow and you don't think it's a nice place. Actually, Glasgow is a beautiful place, a beautiful city, but it has these, like any city though, I guess it has little rough areas. You know, it's got the very um, the football orientated area, and that used to reflect down to me being an Englishman of. Oh, it's, a, it's a bit of a rough city. Well, actually, mm-hmm. to, it's got a beautiful area to it, beautiful universities. And I, we used to go there when I was working in in air quite a lot to you know go out on weekends, go shopping. And I noticed there was a big student population. Now this this again, you know, we're, we're talking back in two thousand and seven. Well, six and seven it was at the time. Two thousand six is when I took my first HMO there, and I realised that you know what, let's do some HMOs. But they weren't HMOs as you might think now, but it i I cut my teeth shall we say in dealing with multiple tenancies, so then it was simply what are called tenement flats four five bedroom flats in a building, and I would just be putting five students in them okay there were no rules no regulations you didn't have to do anything but what that did do is it meant i i kind of cut my teeth in dealing with multiple tenancies dealing with multiple people people moving in and out at different times now that was my first hmo and it was a very very it wasn't easy to run, but it was easy to get into. She was saying, but what it what it showed me as well is how um, one property could be producing far far more income than just a single buy to let. A good analogy for that, you know, it's by carving up that property and getting a lot more money from that one property than you would potentially from a from a single tenant. A good mm-hmm. analogy you could say um, of, a, of an HMO and why it makes you more money, she would say, is. Um, Let's take, a, let's take a cake, okay? Let's take a cake that Costa Coffee buy. and Costa Coffee might buy their cake, okay, for five pounds. So they buy a whole cake for five pounds, but they sell each slice individually, once it's been carved up, for two pound 50 each, okay? Mm-hmm. So ultimately, a lot more from that by carving it up. And that's what we're doing with an HMO. We're taking one property and we're carving it up into smaller segments, i.e. rooms, and ultimately, collectively, you'll earn a lot more money from that. And that's why HMOs are attractive, yeah? Now there's a lot of downsides and there's a lot of, there's a lot of pros and there's a lot of cons with everything. We'll probably discuss those. Uh, but moving on into HMOs where we are now, HMOs are still, in principle, a fantastic investment strategy. The rules and regulations have changed considerably and I'll touch okay. on those uh, now. Um, and that's what I would say, as a beginner getting into HMOs, firstly, Look at your area, look at whether you want to get into HMOs. They are very, very high cash flowing strategy, but you need to understand your area very, very well. What I mean by your area is, is there a demand? Is there a reason that people are going to use shared accommodation? There's a massive shortage of accommodation in the UK as a whole. Okay, so wherever you are, there will be a demand for shared accommodation. It's just how big a demand that is. Are there universities? Are there hospitals close by? Are there building sites, large construction sites, large developments going on? Because all of them bring a, a greater demand for uh, for single accommodation, students, single accommodation, nurses, doctors coming into hospitals to, to bolster the staff there, construction sites where they'll have short-term workers coming in, all bolster HMOs. So have a little look at your areas before you ever jump into HMO. Make sure there is a demand there. Um, for HMOs then what I would say as as, um, as beginners understand what licensing is HMO licensing and understand what a thing called article 4 is okay now article 4 is quite simply a restriction in a town for HMOs so all you need to do is go onto your local councils website type in article 4 map and it will give you a map of where the article 4 area is and what I would suggest is, as a beginner, don't go looking to try and create an HMO within that map area, okay? That's where I would go with this kind of beginner type topic. There are ways to do it within Article 4, but as a beginner, don't look in that, that Article 4 area because it's, it's got a few more rules and regulations that may affect. So that's then Article 4. And then licensing is a different kettle of fish. And licensing is, you're basically looking, if it's going to be five or more rooms, then you require a license. Yeah, that's the big rule of thumb. It may be subtly different in your area with what's called selective licensing, but that's the general rule of thumb. And at that point, you have self-educated yourself into your area, your region about HMOs. And that's really where you need to begin, that's self-education. It's not about going to get an HMO course, not about going to do this, that, and the other, uh, about self-education. Learn about your area, learn about your goldmine area, learn about the licensing in your areas and at that point you can decide whether an hmo strategy is for you or it's not for you i would categorically um, say to everybody um hmo should be part of everybody's portfolio because it allows a diversification and that's the key really with property investing is diversify your your assets and your tenant base so We're not all single nets. We're not all HMOs. We're a little bit of each. Okay. And I massively, massively like a a diversified portfolio
0: right interesting and uh, now when you mentioned you mentioned about the licensing so obviously for those who just starting out um, as you said the, the, the licensing and everything was changing regulations were changing uh, recently was it in October 2018 as well when the yeah. HMOs regulations changed um everything got much more strict as well um, from obviously I don't know about it that much like you but what I, I what I could suggest to the beginners out there is that if you are not sure if you need a license just check with your local council because every council is also different. So there is one standard rule for HMOs in the UK in general, but every council is different as well. So I think it maybe depends on how many they are in the area, or I don't know, but it's always better to check with the council if you're not sure if you need any, if you need a license.
1: What I would suggest is that everybody really, when I I talk about understanding your area and where you're investing, okay, now it's important that you really, really do understand your area. And a lot of people talk about due diligence of Mm. areas, that and it's very very key that you understand your area when I really teach people to understand their gold mine area I tell them to to delve into the local councils plans now a lot of people think I don't need to look at local council. why is that important to me you know that's rubbish why why am I even doing that but what it does is it's there, there may be dry documents to read they're not enjoyable reads but you may you'll pick up certain bits of information so Learn to go on the council's website. And again, in the search engine, just put in HMO regulations, and it will tell you categorically mm. what is required in your area. Again, something else I encourage people to do when they're learning as, as new, uh, new people getting into properties and learning about their areas is find out what's going on in your town, okay? Because you might not have any clue what is going on in your local town and area. And the way to do that, again, is go onto the council website and read the, the council's five-year plan and why i say that is because in that five-year plan it'll tell you whether they are planning to build a new rail link into the city center it'll tell you if they're looking to build a new multi-screen cinema and mm-hmm. shopping center and new whatever and by knowing that you can forward plan and think right well i know they're going to build a new rail link coming into the west side of my village or my town I'll tell you what i'm going to do i'm going to look to do short-term accommodation there in order to facilitate the workers coming in But what that is, it gives you a really, really detailed and broad knowledge of your area. Too many people, when you ask them, where's your gold mine area? They'll say, it's West Birmingham, it's East Birmingham. Right, tell me why. Mm. And they'll say, well, it's because it's on my doorstep. But they'll not know what's going on other than that. They'll not know what's going on in that area. comes back to passion. If you're passionate about it, you've got to know it intricately. I can categorically tell you when, you know, around me, they're planning to do certain things. And I then know, is it going to be a good time to invest? Is it going to be good to do this? It might be now or it might be 12 months time. But again, know your area intricately. And that goes with HMOs as well, because it'll tell you, we are—we haven't got an Article 4 area, but we're planning to implement Article 4 potentially in December 2020. Right. Note to self, if I want to do an HMO, I need to do it now or I've another rule and regulation that I'm going to have to deal with if I do it after December. So what I'm I'm really trying to get across to, to, to beginners in property is know your gold mine area as well intricately, not just surface level, really dig deep into what it is.
0: That's a great advice, absolutely great advice. Doing a real due diligence, um, not only in the current situation, but as you said, have a look at it, let's say, five years ahead. That's a fantastic yeah. advice. So, Rich, you know when you said that um, if you, let's say, find out that in your area you're going to have an Article 4 implemented uh, in the future, mm-hmm. uh, so maybe it's better to hurry up if you want to get a HMOs in, if you want to get HMO there. Now, what would happen if you do get an HMO and then they change the rules? Then the Article 4 will kick in. Do you need to change your existing HMO? or how does that work I mean if it's already
1: yeah right so article 4 and licensing it's really really critical that you never ever confuse the two so let's say you have an article uh, an HMO in an area uh, and it's running fine it's fully up up to running and then all of a sudden the council come in and lay article 4 on top of that area The articles, uh, the council say, right, this area is now Article 4. As long as that HMO was up and running as an HMO prior to Article 4 being brought in, then it has what are called grandfather rights, okay? It has ability to continue operating an HMO and not be affected by the Article 4. Okay, right. mm-hmm. you, can it, you can get that in writing from the council with what's called a certificate of lawful use. Okay, But what I mean is if you've got an HMO there and then they put Article 4, it, it doesn't affect you. And by knowing that, say, as I say in this example, I said they may be going to implement Article 4, let's call it in December this year. As long as you, so you could consciously think, right, there is still a demand in that area for, for HMO, so I know the demand is there, okay? and um, The properties all stack up, and I've found a property that may, when I've done my deal analysis on that, it stacks up as an HMO. Fantastic. So as long as I turn that into an HMO and have it operating as an HMO prior to Article 4, then there's not an issue. Mm-hmm. The key is, it's got to be operating as an HMO. Right. So you can't just buy one and then say to the council, so we buy a property, and I've seen people get caught out by this. People will buy a property just before Article 4 implements and they will start the refurbishment work on that. Well, at that point, you're too late. Article 4 has been implemented. You've got to have bought it, completed any refurbishment works, and put a tenant in or tenants into that property. Tenants may only be in there for one day, okay? Before article Four comes, but you 've operating it as an HMO, and that is critical and this is where you, real good intricate understanding of the, the rules is is important, but you know don't get confused about it you know it's not rocket science HMOs mm-hmm. HMOs are quite simply carving up like I said with the cake analogy, I simply carving up a property okay, to use as separate rooms don't get yourself mm-hmm. too wrapped up in the rules and the regulations, okay? Yeah. There, there is plenty of advice out there, people can reach out to me for advice, they you know, the reach out to anybody for advice. Don't use those as barriers to not get into HMO investing. Check the demand, know your areas, understand, and, and decide whether it's for you. There's many, many different ways to do HMOs um, with regards to uh, tenant types. And again, it's something I say is, understand the tenants that are gonna go into that property, Are they going to be students? Are they going to be nurses, doctors working at hospitals? Are they going to be contract workers? And really have your target um, tenant in mind before you ever start. Me personally, I always like to give my entire HMO to companies, okay, on what I call FRI leases, fully repairing and insuring leases. Why? Because that means on a day-to-day basis, I'm not looking after the tenants. I've just handed it over to another company.
0: Very clever.
1: Yeah. Um, so again, what I what I mean by that is, as a beginner, understand who's going to live in your HMO. Okay.
0: Amazing. So which that I means obviously that comes with the due diligence, as you said, knowing a uh, uh, little earlier on so the due diligence it's hugely important for everything from sourcing the property to uh, to the uh, you know the area who's going to live in the who's going to live in the area what's going to happen in the area so it's all a lot to do with a proper really real good due diligence and as you said the rest it's not a rocket science and it's no need of overcomplicate complicated so of course it sounds maybe complicated for someone who's just starting out and they don't really understand it but it's so hugely important to understand it's not it doesn't need to be that complicated. Well, if no. you love it, if you love it, as we said, no. Yeah,
1: it is, and I'll give you another little, a little bit of a gem, which is kind of good advice to people, which I find that people don't really do. It's, um, say you're looking at that HMOs, you're looking at the properties, and you want to get into HMOs, but you have no concept of is this worth the money? Like, how much should I be looking at? How much is a property? What you know, it's like. How how long's a piece of string how where do we start with this well learn again in your due diligence so if you were doing buy to let you would know roughly what the what the most the, the the highest price is in that area what the average sale price may be in that region whatever so you'll know roughly the prices well People then say, well, you can't do that with HMOs because they're all differently different. But you can understand what an HMO room is worth, okay? okay? And I encourage everybody to learn the value of an HMO room. So both ensuite room and then a shared bathroom room. So what I mean by that is have a little look in your area for properties which have sold as HMOs, okay? Now, they may not be within half a mile, but they might be they might be within a mile of radius of where you're looking. But what I'm saying is in your town, have a little look for HMOs that have sold. So let's say a five bed HMO all on suite sells for 250,000 pounds. So then you can put a value on that HMO ensuite suite room of 50,000 pounds, 250 divided by five. Mm-hmm. So that gives you a rule of thumb that an on suite HMO room is worth about 50,000 pounds. Then do the same with non suite rooms. So let's say we have a, um, a, a, a five-bed non-en-suite with one shared bathroom house, okay? Uh, And that's on the market for 150,000 pounds, okay? Mm -hmm. 150 divided by five is 30,000. So now I've got two scales, two what are called frames of reference. So I know a non-en-suite room in my area is worth about 30 grand. Mm -hmm. An en-suite room in my area is worth about 50 grand. Now why that is a good bit, again, of due diligence, to have stored in the back of your head, due diligence to have is, when you're looking at a property, and you think, brilliant, I've got a building in front of me that I can convert into a five bed all ensuite HMO. And it's on the market for 150 grand. Mm-hmm. And it cost me 50 grand to do the work. Therefore, I bring that in at 200,000. The average cost in my area for a room is 50. Therefore, this val- I'm manufacturing this building for two hundred thousand, therefore, it's a good deal. Tick, yeah.
0: Nice. Yeah. Does that mm-hmm. Absolutely. Where that would
1: go wrong is, let's say there's a building on the market for two hundred and fifty thousand, and I'm going to make that into a five-bed HMO, and it's going to cost me fifty thousand pounds to do it. So therefore, we're three hundred thousand pounds in. But I've already know that an ensuite room is valued in my region at fifty grand, but I'm going to spend three hundred doing that. Well, it's no longer cost effective. You may as well go and buy and already converted because you're not gonna get your money back out of that property. Like so it enables you on the spot to look at a property and it's that level I always talk about being able to do fast deal analysis, fast mm-hmm. due diligence on a property. And it's all, it's having this pre-work, this pre, the, the, these, this work done in your head and stored in your head that enables you to do fast on the ground due diligence on properties. And a lot of people neglect that when it comes to HMOs. They don't know what an HMO is worth. So I can categorically tell you, in my area, those figures I've just said, 50 grand for an en suite are pretty much where we are in my area, Mm -hmm. and about 30 for a non-en suite room. So it's just knowing that is very, very powerful.
0: Wow, that's a great advice. That's not only for the beginners out there. That's for anybody. <laughs> that's a yeah, fantastic, yeah, yeah. fantastic yeah. little trick to, as you said, now how to evaluate, how to, how to really think, uh, what, what house you sh- who you should go for or you could go for if that could work, if you could make money or your money back. But that's fantastic advice. Thank you, Rich. Um, yeah. What about because now this is? Are uh, you talking about a property which you would look to buy and then turn into HMO? Now, what about um, the rent to rent strategy? Do you have any of those or is there any um, advice for the beginners out there? Because obviously this is for property beginners. Now, not every beginner would have enough money to purchase a house. Yeah. So uh, there's another cost. There's another strategy called rent to rent, which can apply to this. Is as I'm, I'm only going, you know, a bit more about it because you know it's for the beginners. So the rent to rent can apply to different strategies as well, also like service accommodation, HMOs. So there's different different yeah. ways of using rent to rent. So can you maybe give us a little bit of advice how 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 beginners can start doing HMOs without absolutely. having any money? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Rent to rents are a brilliant way to get into HMOs. Um and the reason they are so good for getting into HMOs is because it really gives you a starting step in there, as in a far, far lesser starting capital. So let's talk HMOs and rent-to-rent, two rules that every beginner should understand and should live by when it comes to um, rent-to-rent HMOs. The first one is the six-month rule, okay, and we'll talk about that now. So the six-month rule is when you do your analysis on a property you've got to look at how much cash flow you're forecasting that that's going to give you So if you're just getting out and you've seen this property that's on a rent-to-rent basis You work out roughly how much cash flow that's going to give you So that's quite simply all of the rent added up that you foresee in that region all of the rent added up then take off that the rent to the landlord take off that all of the bills and expenses and what's left over is the net cash flow that's what you're going to make as a profit okay mm-hmm. now that net cash flow times by six six months so let's for example call it a thousand pounds per month mm-hmm. therefore in six months we'll have six thousand pounds so that property is a deal as long as I can get it for on the market running for less than six thousand pounds And that means the refurbishment of the property, the furnishing of that property, as long as all of that can be done for less than six months of the net cash flow, it's a deal. That's the first rule when it comes to HMO rent to rent. The second rule is the one and a half times the maximum rent. And that is, let's say we have five-bed HMO, again, four of the rooms are at £500, but one of the rooms is at £600. Okay, one and a half times the maximum rent, so we've got a 600 pounds room is 900 pounds. So, therefore, Mm -hmm. our net monthly cash flow must be equal to or more than one and a half times the maximum room rent. Okay, so in this example, 600 pounds, one and a half times is 900 pounds. In our example, we said we were cash flowing at a thousand pounds per month. Mm -hmm. Therefore, this property is a deal because the thousand pounds is more than the 900. And those rules. If you stick by them doing rent-to-rent HMOs, you will always make money from them. If you don't use those rules and you just think, oh, do you know what, there's a, there's a property there for rent, it's already an HMO, I'm going to have it, and you haven't analysed it and used those two rules, you will, and I guarantee it, you will lose money. Wow. So by using rent-to-rent, it's a massively, massively powerful strategy to get into the, this field very, very quickly. Now I always encourage people I work with to try and put a what's called a lease option onto a rent to rent deal. Now I think this goes a little bit beyond, um, it's not just for the beginners, but what I would say is put that word in the back of your head, lease option, and then let's, let's maybe discuss that a different day because by putting a lease option on a rent to rent deal, it actually means ultimately you could own that property. Yeah, and you're not just gonna potentially hand it back in three years time so rent to rent brilliant deal where rent to rent falls down is that people don't analyze them correctly so we'll come all the way back to the beginning which is analyzing the deal correctly ensure that you analyze it keep those two rules six month rule one and a half times the, the 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 rent in the back of your mind and as long as they both work you will not lose money on that h
0: great advice again fantastic thank you rich uh now as you said we probably shouldn't really talk about that much as i mean that particular topic uh, yet because it's not for beginners but i'm hoping that maybe one day we can do a whole episode on that because that will be amazing uh but just very quickly i personally didn't know either that you can do this option on the rent to hmo property uh rent to hmo deal that's that's fantastic that makes me want to do it now <laughs> yeah, yeah. i want to do that's something. Fun
1: it's not a, it's something for you to negotiate with that landlord
0: of course yeah you know,
1: it's a case of i just prefer to the ability to one day own that property rather than just thinking i'm going to take this off you as rent to rent for three years i'd want to i'll take this off you for three years but i want the option to buy that in three years time at mm. this price and that allows you because ultimately what rent to rent rent to rent is just a it's a short-term strategy, as such, because if you're always handing them back in three years, then you've got to be—you've got to keep finding new properties to add to that portfolio. Otherwise, in three years' time, this one will get handed back. We've got to have found something else. You know, it's a stepping stone type process. So, ultimately, if you're getting into rent-to-rent. You've got to go into it with the vision of ownership. You've got to want to own your own properties, want to build your own portfolio. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to be said for controlling properties, okay, which is what rent to rent is. But ultimately, if you want to to grow a sustainable business and grow financial freedom, even though I hate that term, it is a, it is a you know it is truthful that if you want to build financial freedom, you do need to build up your own asset base, sure. and that's what. Sure. Adding options to something enables you to do. Otherwise, you're just going to keep. It's like deal packaging. Deal packaging is a. It's deal packaging is not a, a property strategy. Deal packaging is a. a you're a salesperson. You. T- it just so happens that the uh, the thing that you're selling is a property, but ultimately you're selling. Okay. You need to turn deal packaging. Those who deal package, you need to think right. I'm deal packaging, but I'm going to build up that pot of income in order to purchase my own. Asset base in order to grow my property portfolio. Otherwise, you'll forever just be a salesperson,
0: which is a hard work as well. So, deal packaging—it's yeah. you doing the the, the legwork on the ground, which is a lot of work, a lot of negotiation, lots. You need to do lots of networking because you need to find the investor, you need to find the property, uh, then you need to secure the you know the amount so the investor is happy to purchase. It's a lot of work involved in it, and as you said, if you're gonna keep doing this forever you're just going to have to work really, really hard forever. So yeah, there's always a different way of, um, yeah. Uh, so, so same like with venture, and I, I can see what you're saying, that it's just not, it's not a strategy, ideal strategy, maybe forever, if you're thinking about scaling bigger, um, you know, and having more freedom step- one day. Brilliant,
1: brilliant stone. It's a brilliant stepping stone, like, rent to rent is a stepping stone into HMO ownership. If you're doing rent to SA, I would still encourage people to want to get into SA. So it enables by doing rent to whatever that is, mm-hmm. that's a tool, okay, to understand the intricacies of that strategy. But ultimately you want to be buying your own property. Absolutely. then SA because by the time you've got that, you understand the intricacies of of that strategy so you've got to, you've got a view it for what it is it's brilliant cash flow okay yeah. but the long term legacy of it you've got to then plan that as well of
0: course, because as again for the beginners out there, is the yes, yeah, you said rent to rent, it's fine, it's great, it's a great way of making, um, you know, some 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 cash. Um, until you if if that's something you want to do, if you if you if you're looking to purchase properties in the future, because ultimately, what the what the um uh, what the beauty of owning property is that you also get your capital growth. So, with rent to rent, yeah, you get your monthly cash flow, but when you own the property, you get your monthly cash flow, but every single year, well, hopefully, if you do if you do good due diligence and obviously if we're not talking about market crashing or something which obviously is not happening yeah. every year um, you have, you're also getting a mar- you know, the capital growth on your equity so on your property so that's that's absolutely um, uh, ideally that's the goal for, 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 for most of the people who's going into the properties yeah. so yeah that's a that's a great advice. Uh, yeah. So you gave us some uh, some fantastic advice in regards to how to how to source the property. Uh, what about how to um, uh, now when you when you do the right due diligence, you, you got the right property either rent rent or you buy the property yourself. Uh, do yeah. you have any advice on how to um, how to fill in the property with the people? Where, where do you look for right yeah. people? Do you need any special contracts perhaps?
1: Yeah. So again, when when so all we're doing is rent to rent is just uh, again we'll uh, rent to rent or HMO. Sorry, we're we're simply using we're five rooms, uh, five separate ASTs. If that's what we're doing, or you could do the entire house on on say a license agreement or management agreement. How we I always outsource that, so I always use local agents. Okay, so there's a lot to be said about, and again, it's where you want to where you see your business going. If you're going to use an agent, ensure you use a specialist HMO agent, okay? Not every rental agent is uh, is specialist in HMO. Ensure that it's a, an HMO letting agent. And they'll be able to advise you, you know, it might be a student-specific HMO letting agent. It might be one who's looking for contract workers, etc. But if you're going to use an agent, again, back to due diligence, understand and look at who that agent is. If you plan to do this yourself, the majority of um, time now when we are... Uh, renting privately you'll find a lot of tenants on there is a site spare rooms now trouble is with spare rooms it's it's kind of diminished over the years not as good as it was but again it's a good one to throw an advert on and use that facebook marketplace fantastic place for for finding tenants and again advertising your rooms if you're going to advertise your rooms and rent them properly ensure the photographs are done you know if you're going to take them on an iphone ensure that you are You know, not everybody's got a professional camera. Not everybody can do that, but you can set the room up and you can dress the room correctly. Find a good angle uh, to take the photographs so ensure your photographs are truly, truly selling your product because that's what you're doing. You're selling that room. You want somebody to look at that advert, whether it be on Facebook Marketplace, Gumtree, spare rooms, and you want them to be like, wow, I want that room. You want to get them to pick up that phone to you to book a viewing. If you've got a really dimly lit, dull photograph of an unmade bed, you know, clothes on the floor or whatever that may be, it's not attractive. They're
0: going okay. to skip your property and <laughs> look for something nicer. Yeah,
1: and that's it. Make the picture attractive. And I think that's one of the biggest, biggest keys with, with anything is you've got to sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the narrative that you, you put on there, sell that property, sell the benefits of your property, say why it's so good, etc. So that's what you want to do. Once you start getting viewings for those properties, again, ensure that if you're self-managing, that you do those viewings. and um, Show them around the properties, but again, that is a time for you as well to get a first impression of that tenant. So yes, you want to fill the property, but you also want to fill the property with the right people. So spend that time to understand while you're showing them the property, who that person is. Get to know them, that first impression. Have, have they turned up dressed like a complete scruff? Have they turned up, you know, if they whoever they may be, just get to know them. because once they decide that they're going to take that, that room, they'll have to go through referencing. Now referencing is a formal process, and you can you can outsource that. There's many, many different referencing agencies. But that will simply look at kind of credit checks, jobs, things like that. Don't get me wrong, there's many, many people who pass credit checks have good jobs, etc. who are just awful tenants, who are scruffy, who are messy, who wouldn't respect and look after your property. Mm. That's down to you, you're in that view and just a look at the person, get to know them. You know, I just spend five minutes with them, but talk to them, engage in conversation. Are they, do you get the impression that they're gonna have zero respect for your property? If that's the case, I would highly recommend that you probably don't take them. So what I'm getting at there is, if you're gonna self-manage it, make sure the pictures sell, the pictures and the narrative sell what you're, you're you know, really sell at, that that the property itself. Ensure that you do the viewings yourself, or if you're not doing them yourself, and whoever does them, ensure that that person speaks to and gets to know the tenant and do your referencing correctly, okay? Because to get five good tenants in that property, okay, will they'll then hopefully stay for the long term. If you get four good tenants in one, that's past referencing, but actually is a bit of a, you know, a bit of a messy person, no, no, has no respect for the property. What will happen? It will scare the other four away, and all that will happen is those other four will move out as soon as their tenancy agreements have expired. So that would be my biggest bit of advice if you're going to use self, start self-renting yourself. Moving forward from there, the management of the property. Okay, um, you know, ensure that you have good systems in place, whether that simply be WhatsApp groups for all of the tenants, so you've got the communication. Majority of systems, when people talk about systems, systems, as long as you've got good communication, that gets rid of 90% of problems. If you're communicating effectively, actually you'll get rid of 90% of problems. So little things like that, a WhatsApp group, which is for urgent pieces of information you know, to, to really whatever, to visit the property, to keep in touch and keep uh, communications with those tenants, will go a long, long way to ensuring that that house runs smoothly
0: amazing that's another fantastic advice uh now can i just add uh, to it i i heard cuz obviously i don't have HMOs, it's just something from um what i'm what i'm learning you know by, by talking to people is that when you're also self um, managing your property it's handy if you are the one who goes let's say there in, in in the once a week and clean the uh, communal areas for example the reason mm-hmm. for that is that you are you seeing yourself uh the state of the property how they're treating your property um and mm-hmm. ma- mainly things like condensation and mold because obviously when you have your uh your tenant you can't really uh, no matter how how much you will speak to them, it does, they, you can't really gu- you can't ever get guaranteed that they will uh, be opening the windows often enough, mm-hmm. you know. And the, the, and the filter property it's basically really really important for you to see as well how the property looks like. So it's just a little tip, especially in the beginning, if you're self managing, if you're the one who uh, you know keep an eye on the on the communal areas, uh, especially in the beginning, if you want to save some money, perhaps it's an extra bonus is that you see the. The, the state
1: of the properties in yeah. there 100% you know even if it's not for the cleaning the regular inspections are important not just for the kind of the, the condensation the treatment of the property but also you know again you you will nothing will shock me with regards to, to tenants but I've been in properties where you know the because ultimately with an HMO you as the landlord or you're picking up the bills so you're paying the bills and I've been in many many HMOs where they'll have the heating on full blast but they'll have all the windows open um, okay so it's just that Go in there so if you're doing regular inspections, you can see that. But again, a lot of that is down to re education. So, quite simply, if I go in and I see that, I'll simply say to them, Guys, would you mind? Here's the thermostat. This is how it works. This is what you need to do. Okay, there's ways to alleviate that. You can put in electronic thermostats, hive type systems where they're remote. But again, it's if you just educate them, do you mind if, if it's cool, just turn that down and keep your windows closed? Usually, communication, good level of communication. You've found the problem. Like I have said at the beginning, I love to solve problems. You've found the problem. You know the solution. You've communicated the solution and it won't happen again.
0: Fantastic. Uh, Hopefully, (laughs) exactly. I was about to say that because it's a people's business, you're always going to have different, you know, not everybody's always um the way how you dreamed about you know you know it's gonna get your ideals attendance so, well hopefully yes but that doesn't you can't guarantee that when you're going into this game because it's a people's business and you just never know what characters you get as you said the only thing you can do is is to try to get us as, as um Prepared as possible, do your due diligence, go with your gut feeling, etc. etc. But then obviously it comes with a risk as well. Of course, it does. You know, you can't just, it's not a everything's just pink glasses, isn't it? Uh, you have to be ready for anything, really. But hopefully, with as you said, with the right communication, with the right procedures, with the right system in place, hopefully, you will avoid any um, any, what would you sure. call it? <laughs> Any what? <laughs>
1: Any massive shocks, at least. Any
0: massive shocks, exactly, exactly. Because, of course, that people, you know, you don't want to be thinking negatively as well. You know, like people, and most of the people are genuinely nice. They just want to live in a lovely place. So, yeah, we, you know, you can't put everybody in the same bag. <laughs>
1: exactly it's exactly
0: so true. okay so now we have we covered how you're gonna find a property how you're gonna fill the property now how you maintain the property uh now um is there anything else you think that um beginners should know when you're running agent more is there any other like a golden tips from rich little for like while you while you already have i think and- what i
1: would say is when you're running them okay you've uh, before you ever bring in an agent or bring in somebody else to do it, ensure that you have done it yourself. Okay. So you understand the process. Correct. What I would as well. you know this is a business and you're looking at taking on two, three, four, five, six HMOs, whether that be as rent-to-rent or whether that be um owned, then you do need to start looking at outsourcing that management. Now, whether that be a local agent that you trust, that's fine. But I do encourage people to do it themselves initially so you can understand. The pitfalls, the downfalls, where you know those sort of things. But I think with HMOs, I think if, if people did a few things very well, they would make their HMOs far, far more successful. First one, like I said, my my golden tip would always be the due diligence. Due diligence on the area, due diligence on the property themselves, whether that be rent to rent or whether that be to own. Uh, when it comes to both of those, uh, when it comes to rent to rent, learn your two rules and understand those two rules. Okay, how they impact that property. Don't, if it doesn't fit in those two rules, but you think it's a beautiful property, I want it, but it doesn't fit in those two rules, then do not take it as an HMO. This property game is fact based, not emotional based. Okay, Mm. facts, the rules say that it's not a deal, therefore, it's not a deal. No matter how beautiful it is, no matter what it looks like, if it doesn't fit the rules, do not take it. Um, that'd be the second one. The third one, really, my my key for all of this is, sorry, I'll do four. Third one is understand the rules and the regulations of your area. Okay, so just, again, just that due diligence. The last one is good communication. Communicate with your tenants. Okay, communicate with them once you've got them in there. If you start using agents, keep good communication with those agents. Even if I have when I have agents running my properties. I maintain a kind of weekly communication, at least with them, and I'll still go and view my properties. Why? Because I also want to ensure that the agent is doing the job correctly. Because I've asked them to do it, but I've also got to check that they are doing it. So that would be kind of, if you do those four things, HMOs will always be a fantastic, fantastic property strategy.
0: Amazing! That's a great advice as well. <laughs> That's been like um, you you have just been giving a golden nuggets all the way through. <laughs> Amazing! I'm sure, I'm sure everybody will find this really useful. Thank you, Rich. Now, do you have, in regards to, because obviously we covered, you know, how to get, how to get it, how to how to occupy the property, how to maintain the property once you have it. Now, when we mentioned before the mindset, do you have any um any books or any documentaries or anything for the beginners to watch if they want? To get into the right mindset with the properties, is there anything you can maybe give advice on that now as well?
1: Yeah, I think one of my you know, I think one of my favorite books with regards to anything with regarding property is a book called by Darren Hardy called Compound Effect. And I um, know I uh, recently read it, uh, yes. Lenker, but it's a very old book. Oh, well, it's not a very old book, it's quite an old book actually, it's been around a long, long time, but it's got he, he, he communicates some key lessons very, very well with regards to positive habits in there, the power of compounding, because a lot of people within the property sphere want overnight results because they've they've been sold this financial dream or they've got this financial dream. But results don't come overnight. Yeah. A tree does not grow, you know, a tree, you don't plant a seed and come back the next day and expect to see a tree. You've got to plant that seed, you've got to nurture it. Like the property business, you've got to nurture it. You've got to put the time and effort in but the roots are growing all along. Then all of a sudden, that's at one point, once you've grown those roots, the compound effect will take hold and the tree will grow at, at a huge rate. So that book is, is, is a fantastic book, The Compound Effect, and that's applicable to life in general, not just property. But you can take the lessons in that and definitely relay them to, uh, to property. And that's probably my biggest one for mindset that I would give you. Uh, a lot of mindset is about being able to overcome barriers, overcome barriers and overcome fears. If you can overcome fears and overcome barriers, then actually it puts your mind in a, in a frame that says nothing is nothing is impossible. The majority of barriers are fears. Fear of what? Fear of failure, fear of being judged, fear of what others may think. So whatever those fears are, whatever those barriers are, identify the barriers, look at them, okay? and then realize or look at each barrier in turn, if it's a fear of failure, right? Why am I scared of failure, okay? How am I gonna get over that? So I look, I then look at that, and I re, then I look at every aspect of doing the task, okay? To ensure it will never fail. I'll then come back to the barrier, I'll be like, oh, I'm no longer scared. Fear of failure is no longer there, barrier's gone. And by doing that with your mindset in whatever you do, it stops you putting barriers in your way which will ultimately stop you doing the task that's gonna take you to success.
0: Amazing. You are very, very inspirational. I actually consider you um, as my mentor. I don't think I ever told you that, but you really are, you really are. <laughs> and uh, oh, yeah, um, yeah, you've got a great, great um, attitude towards, um, is that correct, towards mindset? No, that's not correct, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah? <laughs> well, yeah?
1: Yeah, it is, it is an, it is, and that's right, you've gotta have an attitude towards it. You've gotta to yeah, you've gotta got look at those barriers. Now, it's, it's by identifying those barriers, by, by firstly, being honest with yourself, and a lot of that is just being honest with yourself and saying, why aren't I doing this? I've, and it be like, I've put a barrier in the way, right? What's the barrier? The first step is identifying it. It's 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 like the first step to, you know, if you're an addict or anything like that, to say the first step is admitting it. So admitting you're an addict, admit that you've put a barrier in the way that's going to stop you achieving this task. Once you've admitted you've put a barrier in the way, and you can look at what the what the barrier is, and at that point, you can take action to get rid of it. I always always question initially why you're getting into property. And I think it's a question everybody should ask themselves is are you doing this purely for a financial reason? Okay, because if it's purely for I want the money and I've been told that property can produce this money for me, Potentially look at your reasonings for being there because you've got to be passionate about the medium that is going to bring you the money. Mm. The medium that is going to bring you the money is the property. If you're not physically passionate about property, you will never, ever make this business succeed. So have a quick little, you know, have a think about yourself. Am I passionate about this? Now, you may not be passionate about property. I'm not passionate about refurbs. Freaking hate them. You know, I'm not the person to go out and do refurbs because, but I know that. So I've identified that as my weakness. I'm passionate about other areas of the property business. So what I do is I bring in the relevant, the right people, the right teams to do that, to ensure that at every one of these points from the refurb, the conveyancing, the the furnishings, the lettings, those individuals, they're all passionate about their own little spoke of the wheel. I'm sitting in the middle and I'm passionate about running those spokes. That's my passion. My passion is running it. So what I'm getting at is have a question, uh, a question yourselves about the passion. You've got to be passionate about property. You've mm-hmm. got to be passionate about the medium that is going to bring you the money. And the reason I say that is because if you're pa- whatever, if you're not passionate about it, think what you are passionate about. Because if you put the amount of time, effort uh, into whatever you're passionate about, as you need to to make a property business succeed, what you put that amount of time and effort and passion into that, you will make that succeed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, And you've got to be passionate about this game if you want it, about property if you want to make it succeed. It doesn't have to be all of property. It might only be one or two little spheres, but then you've got to identify the areas that you're not passionate about and then use the relevant people around you, find those teams, find those relationships, and find those people who are passionate about those areas to work with as one whole.
0: Yeah, that's That's a that's a really great advice. You know, for those who for those who's listening, uh, for uh, for example, to this uh, episode for the first time, the previous episodes I um, recorded for this podcast, uh, every single person was making a huge point about be passionate. Make sure you're passionate about it, and it just shows, doesn't it? That I just want to make a massive point to it as well with you is that many people they think uh, they they get they get this um, a dream soul that um, make you know go for this course and and then you're going to get that much passive income for example a month but it's not like that as such and there's that's obviously a different topic we can go through. so we could go hours and hours and hours about this one isn't yeah. it but it's a huge it's a huge thing that everybody really should realize do you actually want to do this is that actually something you want to do and if that's something you don't want to do find something you want to do It's the same mindset same principles same um, you know, same, same way, way of thinking. You still need to train your train your brain and train your mindset to become successful, yeah. but find whatever you, you're passionate about and you want to do. So, Rich, can you tell us more about your exciting Blue Oak and all the projects you, you, you're you starting out with your Blue Oak community?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Lenka. So, we've got Blue Oak. Hopefully, uh, all your listeners will be part of Blue Oak. If you're not, please do go to our main Facebook group, which is Blue Oak Property Network. And what we're doing is we've just set out with Blue Oak to try and disrupt many spaces. We want to become a brand. We want Blue Oak to become a brand that kind of transcends many, many different industries from health and fitness, from personal development, from mindset growth. And really it's about our three core values, which are open, honest, and ethical. And we feel if we bring those to whatever business we go into, okay, we will ultimately make it a success. And if we can relay that to you guys as well, and hopefully you bring open, open, honest, and ethical uh, values to your business, you will always make it a success as well. So it's just an open platform of shared information. We want to provide ultimate solutions for you guys to succeed. No ulterior motives, no selling. We just want to, to develop you all as individuals. Um, alongside of that, we've realized that actually in the property space, mindset, beliefs, vision is huge, and actually personal growth, and so hence we set up Peak Performance, which is another group, Peak Performance by Blue Oak, where we look to uh, instill marginal gains in every single one of you through structured behaviors in order to gain peak performance. If you can improve, okay, and if we can give you some guided teachings to improve you by literally a tenth of 1%, okay, a tenth of 1% every single day, Okay, in 10 days, you'll be 1% better. And you might think, actually, that's not a lot. You won't notice the difference. And to be honest, you probably won't notice the difference. But in a, in, you know, from then 100 days, you will be 10% better as an individual in the task that you're doing, in the work that you're doing, as you're, in your diet, your fitness, whatever it may be. So that's what we're doing with Peak Performance, to grow every individual to be better as people, better as individuals and better as humans, because ultimately that will grow your business. Um, And that's Blue Oak, really. We want to transcend. We want to take us as Blue Oak. We want to bring you all with us on this ride. And as I say, we are just an open, honest, and ethical community. So please, if you're not part of any of the Blue Oak groups, go enjoy Blue Oak Property Network. Peak Performance by Blue Oak. Health and Fitness by Blue Oak. Get on them all. Get involved. And, uh, you know, as I say, we hold monthly events once, uh, monthly events, monthly meetups, full days' worth of teaching and education, which are just great, great community atmosphere.
0: It's absolutely fantastic. And They were saying that the and also and also what you have it's a blue oak book club now as well. You guys oak are book just book, growing. Yeah. It's amazing. And you only started was um, October two
1: thousand nineteen. Yeah, or... so blue oak itself started in October two thousand nineteen. But I think our our, our exponential growth. So we, we're recording this now in in March, well no April two thousand twenty. I think mm-hmm. our growth is really tantamount to our our beliefs of open, honest, and ethical, just doing things right, okay? Treating people correctly and not just as you know, as a sales funnel or a sales pitch, but treating people correctly. And at the core, as I say, it's ultimate solutions for you guys to succeed, for everybody that we deal with to succeed because we want everybody to succeed, not just ourselves because then the payback to us will be far, far greater than potentially a short-term monetary payback.
0: Of course. The thing is that what I love about you guys is that you always just make sure that um, people understand if they are passionate about what they're saying mm-hmm. they are passionate. Because if they are not passionate about certain things, then um, they're perhaps wasting their time, your time, or they will be wasting their money. Or It's, it's just hugely important. And I love that, guys. But you, you, you always make sure that whoever you, you're helping, you make sure that this is what they want. Truly, yeah. this is what they want. Yeah.
1: Passion is passion is vital, really. You've got to be passionate about whatever it is you're doing, yeah. uh, because if you're not, whenever you hit a hurdle, whenever you hit a hard time, a bad time, a problem, if you're not passionate about it, you will never get over that hurdle, and it'll be that hurdle that actually is the point that you give up. If you're not passionate about it, you'll get to the hurdle, you get to the problem, you blah. Like, oh, sorry, I can't be bothered.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: About it, there will not be a single hurdle, a single problem, or anything that can get in your way. Because you have the passion to succeed at whatever it is. So those hurdles do not matter then.
0: Amazing, okay, cool. Well, thank you, thank you, Ridge. As I said, that we're gonna pop the links for uh, for the Blue Oak community somewhere below. I'm still learning, I still I still don't know where to point. I still, yeah, yeah. <laughs> still don't know where to point somewhere. There will be comment boxes. Uh, we're gonna pop the links for those who are not in the community yet because definitely, guys, you should get on air. I can't get enough, I'm addicted to Blue Oak. I'm, already, I'm in, I'm so fully in. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real addiction. Love the people, love everything you guys do okay and i have a one more question literally just one more question because I, after everything what we covered um for those who don't like reading i always ask that question to everybody do you have any for, for those who just want to put something on the tv and they want to be a bit a, a bit educational about mindset or about properties do you have anything to recommend on the tv as a tv show or tv or movie or anything something what rich little would recommend that if you want to watch something really cool watch that
1: if you want to watch something, what I would consider really interesting, it's the documentary. There's, oh, I've probably got two, actually. Can I give you two? Yeah,
0: yeah, of course. Two please
1: do. First one, the documentary about Warren Buffett called Being Warren Buffett. Okay, Fascinating documentary. For those people who don't know who Warren Buffett is, he's, he's about 87 years old now. Uh, he's no longer the richest person in the world. I think he's third richest person in the world. But the man still lives in the same house that he... Uh, bought when he was in the 1960s. He still drives the same car that he bought in the 70s. Uh, yet he's the third richest man in the world. Um, through the ability of, well, it's through compound interest, but a very, very shrewd investor. He's an investor in, in the stock markets, not, not necessarily property. But his mindset into how he analyzes things how he he goes about and deals with them is fascinating. Money for him is not the driving force. He views money as a scorecard it's numbers on a screen if he is successful or not. He does not care about looking flashy or anything like that. I say the book's eighty seven years old, but what is very, very interesting is that the how passionate he is. Because if he wasn't passionate, he wouldn't still be working every single day in his office at 87 years old. The man's got more money than you could ever know what to do with, yet his passion shines through. So becoming Warren Buffett is a fantastic one. The second one, again, about mindset uh, and learning yourself. So I view mindset um, above potentially property. But So the other one I would, I would say is uh, the Netflix documentary called I Am Not Your Guru, which is about Tony Robbins. Tony
0: Robbins, yeah. yeah.
1: And again, that is about a six-day program that he runs called Date with Destiny. Now I've been on Date with Destiny with Tony Robbins. Have you? Yeah. So I did it in Australia in twenty sixteen. And it and I initially thought, ah, is this for me before I went? And it was a good friend of mine said, Come on, come with me, come along. It was out of this world. It was unbelievable. The man is an absolute machine when it comes to, to speaking. No sales pictures, no selling. He will will deliver for 12 hours a day, every day. It is relentless, but it is unbelievable content. And that's, some of it is, you know, you might think it's a bit woo-woo, a bit like too much, you know, and doesn't fit with what I want at all. And don't get me wrong, some of it is. But if you can take one or two little nuggets from that, little gems, and that's what I always say with books or documentaries or anything, as long as I can walk away with only one or two golden nuggets, then I'm content. I don't need to be... Educated from start to finish. Mm. I'll read a book, I'll watch a documentary, but as long as I can take one or two golden nuggets away from it, I will. And I think if you watch that, I'm not your guru with Tony Robbins, every single person listening to this or watching this will be able to take away one or two golden nuggets
0: fantastic amazing you. so you're giving us a golden nugget about golden nuggets <laughs> well,
1: remember, yeah. let's, like gold. let's compound that gold yeah, yeah. it's like past the
0: parcel pass the parcel yeah, yeah. <laughs> amazing oh rich that was absolutely fantastic episode fantastic having you today i'm sure that everybody will find a lot of value in this um thank you very much for sharing your your knowledge your experience your enthusiasm as always as i said that i consider you my mentor um uh, wow. you are a good friend you are great uh, with, what, in what you do you're always there to help people um so yeah thank you very much for having me in the community my and
1: pleasure it's been it be great <laughs> amazing
0: right so we're just going to wrap it up here today um, so again thank you very much and uh, hopefully we'll see you all here again and uh, see you uh, hopefully as well in my show again in the future hopefully we might cover a different topic one day who, who knows
1: <laughs> would love to like it <laughs>
0: that'll be amazing well say so again thank you very much and have a fantastic day everybody thank you Rich again Bye-bye. bye bye Thank you very much for tuning in today, hope you found it useful and see you all very soon.